Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, It's actually hard to believe, but it was 34 years ago this month that my wife and I were expecting our very first child. And, um, and one of the things, of course, one of the biggest responsibilities for, as parents, one of them is what you choose to name the baby. You know, that's always a question. What, 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 what's the name? And um, because, you know, that name is going to stick with them for the rest of their life. And uh, we, we actually, I was a youth pastor, so we had kids in youth groups. So we actually interviewed kids whose names we were considering. Because we asked them, okay, 16 years old, do you still like your name? You know, if, if they said yes, then it was still in contention. Um, so we, we finally narrowed it down. If it was a girl, this was before you got the ultrasound and you got it all known ahead of time, okay? If it was a girl, it was either going to be Aaron or Sarah. And then if it was a boy, um, the boy's name that we had picked out was Eric. Now, I was also a recent, um, a recent Bible school graduate, you know, so I had a Bible name in mind. And there was, I was always intrigued with the story of Paul and Barnabas. And I wasn't thinking Paul. Um, and not for a first name, you know, that would just be really cruel. But I thought a middle name, because nobody uses a middle name, you know, Eric. And then I thought, the only one who uses a middle name is your mom when she's mad at you. And what would it say? I'm the poor kid shouting from the front porch to the whole neighborhood, Eric Barnabas, get in here right now. That probably wasn't a good. So our son is eternally grateful that he was not the firstborn. Um, he was secondborn, so we had some chance for sanity to set in. Um, people choose names for their babies for a lot of different reasons. Um, some do it just from the sound of it, and they like the sound of how it all flows together. Um, some families choose names that have been family names you pass down from generation to generation, you know, junior, the second, the third, the fourth, and on down it goes. Um, some people do it for, for, they like a traditional name. I was looking online this week. Actually, a lot of those old names from the 20s and 30s are now becoming popular again. Names like Vivian and Lillian. None of us, our parents named us kids those names. Um, and, and some do it maybe, um, but they want to be unique. It, when you read through scripture, you find over and over again that names were given with a purpose. They had a meaning to them. And, and you find this all throughout the Bible. Um, for instance, Abraham. Abraham's name was Abram. When God made him a promise that he was going to be a father of many nations, he changed his name to Abraham, which means literally father of many nations. Um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Uh, You remember Jesus changed the name of one of his disciples named Simon. He changed his name to Peter. Peter means rock. And he said, you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. So, So you find throughout scripture that names had purpose. Names had meaning. And, and centuries before, some 700 years before Christ's birth, the prophet Isaiah had a prophecy. And it was at a time of, of deep darkness in the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom um, had already fallen to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was being threatened. And it looked like this was going to be the end. And yet Isaiah had this prophecy for the nation of Israel and actually for the world of a coming Messiah that would change everything. And if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. We're actually going to be here for the next couple of weeks. Um, This is what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. That will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is giving. And the government shall be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah prophesied about a coming Messiah. And he gave him these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And through this Christmas season, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at each one of those names, beginning today with this idea of Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean? Let's kind of unpack that. How does that, how does it affect our lives? What does it mean to you and to me to be able to call Jesus Wonderful Counselor? And there's a couple of thoughts I want to share with you. And I want to start with this one. That to be able to call him Wonderful Counselor means that he will guide us through our life's journey. The word actually, the Hebrew word, which is the original language that Isaiah prophesied in, the Hebrew word is ya'atz. And it literally means advisor or consultant, guide. And what Isaiah is trying to convey to us is that, is that our God is a guiding God. That he cares about our lives and the direction that our lives take. He cares about the choices that we make. Anyone here ever made a bad decision that you could have used some guidance on ahead of time? Yeah, okay, okay. So I'm in good company this morning. We need that kind of guidance. Now, usually when we talk about guidance what we're, and, and finding God's direction and guidance, well, usually what we're talking about is those major life decisions or, or when we're caught in a, in a predicament and we don't know what the way out is. But that's more, it, what Isaiah had in mind and what God had in mind is much, much more than that. Isaiah wrote about it this way, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You ever got up in the middle of the night, maybe to get a glass of water, you woke up in the middle of the night, thirsty, went down and got a glass of water, or maybe you had to relieve some water. Um, but, but you go out, and, and everybody's asleep, so you don't turn on the lights, so you kind of, you stumble through the dark, and somebody went and moved the furniture on you, you know, and you stub your toe, you know, really hard. Okay. Isaiah saying, it's like we live our whole lives walking in darkness. We're stumbling along. We don't have any real direction or any real guidance. And we stub our toes a lot. But now in this coming Messiah, in Christ, all that changes. John wrote in his gospel, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That Jesus came... And showed us a different way of living. He was an example to us of what a with God life looks like. What it means to live life with God. And, and he gave us that example. And not only gave us that example. But he came to make it available and accessible to each and every one of us. And that's what the prophet Isaiah is talking about. That, that, that God is here to give us direction and guidance that Christ came to give meaning and purpose and direction to our lives not just in the big major decisions but in every area of our life 
I mean, I mean, think about because sometimes, like I said, sometimes we think about finding God's guidance, and it's always about those big decisions. And really, what we're thinking about is that we don't want the responsibility of making that decision on our own. I mean, think about it as parents. Would it be a good thing if you told your child, wear these clothes, go to this school, choose this major, take that job, date this girl, marry that person, have this many kids, and they did everything you exactly told them? Would that be a good thing? Okay, the answer to that is no. (laughs) And the reason is, is your goal as a parent is not to make all the decisions for your children, but that they would grow up to be become mature and wise and, 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 and disciplined people on their own. And the only way that that is going to happen is if they make their own decisions and maybe even make their own mistakes and learn from them. And God is the same way with us. Sometimes we're just, we're, we're so looking for the right choice, the right answer. We're faced with one of those major life decisions and we're just praying, God, I need your direction. I need your, and sometimes God's answer is simply you decide. Because I don't think he is so concerned with the specifics. Yes, he does guide. Yes, he does nudge us. Yes, he does prompt us. Yes, he does move us. I believe that wholeheartedly. But, but I think it has more to do with our character and the person that we are becoming. Someone not long ago came in faced with one of those kind of decisions. How do you know God's will? How do you know what the right choice is? And I said, you know, for me and in my life, the way that I've experienced it, it's more like I'm on like a seven-lane highway. And any one of these lanes is okay. It just matters that I'm going in the right direction. And I think that's more the kind of guidance that God comes to give us. He comes to give us a a, a real direction for our life. And it really comes down to this belief that the way that God says to live is really the best life available. Too often, that's not what we want. We just want God when it comes to those big decisions. Dallas Willard writes about it in his book, Hearing God, which I highly recommend, by the way. Um, But he writes this. He says, the doleful reality is that very few human beings really do concretely desire to hear what God has to say to them. This is shown by how rarely we listen for his voice when we're not in trouble or when we're not faced with the decision that we don't know how to handle. People who understand and warmly desire to hear God's voice will, by contrast, want to hear it when life is uneventful just as much as they want to hear it when they're facing trouble or big decisions. This is a test we should apply to ourselves as we go in search of God's will. Do we seek it only under uncomfortable circumstances? Our answer may reveal that our failure to hear his voice when we want to, want to is due to the fact that we do not in general want to hear it. That we only want it when we think we need it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. What he's saying is, yes, those big decisions, it's important that you consider God's direction and you consider God's will. But what really matters is, are you following him in those everyday kinds of things? Here's the thing that I have found in my own life. It becomes much easier to discern God's voice and God's direction if I have made it a habit of saying yes to him along the way. You see, you read through Scripture, and there's all kinds of commands there. And we say, well, that doesn't apply to my situation. There's all kinds of principles in there. Say, yeah, but, but, but you don't know my circumstances. The best way that you are going to find God's direction and God's will and God's guidance for your life is learning to say yes to the things that you already know are there. 
One of those biggies is baptism, by the way. And that's why we celebrate baptisms around here so much is because that is a first act of obedience. It's saying, I am turning over the controls of my life and I'm intending to follow him for the rest of my life. And I'm making that a public declaration because it's important that I learn to say yes to God in the things that are clear so that in those things that are not quite so clear, I have a general sense of what his direction is for my life. Someone asked me not too long ago, what is it that made, how, how come you moved to Benicia and planted this church? How did you know that was what God wanted you to do? And it really stems from the sense that it just seemed like that's where God was leading us. Because a long time ago in my life, I made a decision that I was going to be as best I could obedient to his promptings. That I was going to try my best to follow his ways with his help. And believe me, I do not do it 100% of the time. But the more that you make it a habit to say yes to God in those things that you know that are clear, the much easier it becomes in those areas that are not so clear. That makes sense? Yeah. See, because he's there to guide us. That's part of what it means to be wonderful counselor. I think there's another aspect to it. It also is our wonderful counselor. It means he will also comfort us in our heartaches. That's the second aspect of a counselor, is one who is a comforter. Someone who's there, a listening ear, someone who can come alongside. In fact, actually, the New Testament word for counselor means exactly that. The, word, the Greek word is parakaleo, which literally means to be called alongside. And that's what Jesus did. See, his coming to this earth and living life on our terms, that's exactly what he was doing. Matthew quotes the prophet Isaiah, says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And then he adds the interpretation, which means God with us. See, Jesus didn't just come to show us life as it was intended. He did it by taking on life as it is. He entered into this world and experienced everything that you and I experienced. He was fully human. By the way, that is not something that anybody would have expected. I think those of us who maybe know the story or are familiar with Christian faith and all that, you know, that just seems like a no-brainer. But you got to understand, that is just such a foreign concept that God himself would enter humanity, that he would make himself a man, subject to all the things that you and I go through. Max Lucado writes about it. He says, The omnipotent made himself breakable. He who is larger than the universe became an embryo. God as a fetus, the creator of life being created. God is with us. Prophet Isaiah hinted at that, by the way. He said, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That is not your typical birth announcement. I mean, think about it. Generally, birth announcements go to Mary and Joseph is born a son, Jesus. But, but, but Isaiah is hinting at this fact that it wasn't just about Mary and Joseph. It was for us, for you, and for me. As a wonderful counselor, he took on life on our terms. And the writer of Hebrews tells us exactly why. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He, it was necessary for him to be in every aspect like us. In every aspect like us. Why? Why? He goes on and says, Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us. See, Jesus became a human being. God himself took on human flesh in every way, shape, and form. And regardless of the song that you sing at Christmas time, when the cattle were lowing, the baby cried. 
because that's what babies do, okay? He was not some serene, never cried, perfect child. He was a baby. He was fully human. And sometimes the picture that we have of Jesus is that he kind of just walked through this life somehow serenely, somehow detached, almost like he's on Xanax, okay? That he just, (laughs) nothing fazed him, nothing bothered him. That he didn't really deal with real life like we do. And that's just simply not the case. That is not the gospel Jesus. You read Jesus' account. He experienced pain. He experienced loneliness. He got frustrated with his followers. He got angry with Pharisees. He wept with grief at the tomb of a good friend. He experienced the abandonment of everybody that was close to him at the time he needed them most. Now that's important. It's important for some of you because some of you, this year has been a very difficult year. It's been a year of heartache, strained relationship, maybe a divorce, trouble with your kids, financial difficulties, maybe loss of a job, health issues. See, it means something that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. In a way that God would never have known firsthand had not Christ come. I've shared on a number of occasions, one of the things that I have struggled with for about the last 12 years is uh, with clinical depression. First diagnosed with it about 12 years ago. And, 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 and it's a very devastating disease. And it's not talked about often. And people don't understand it. I didn't understand it. For, for years as a pastor, you know, people would come in and they were dealing with clinical depression and coming to talk and just, you know, just emotionally a basket case. And, just, and, you know, I would do my good pastoral thing. I would say, yes, I know it's tough. Yes, you know, be there for you. But in all honesty, deep down inside, I was saying to myself, come on, suck it up. <laughs> Get on with your life. Everybody goes through down times until... It hit me. And I went through that stage in my life where I couldn't suck it up. And I couldn't go on with life. And I was so overwhelmed by this heaviness on me. And couldn't find any answer for it. And struggled with it. Thank God he has worked in my life and restored that. But I'll tell you what it did for me as a pastor it changed the way that I relate to people who are going through heartache. It changed the way that I relate to people who are struggling with depression. It changed the way, because now I knew. I understand. See, and that Jesus came and took on life on our terms and experienced everything that you and I experience says something. It says he is someone who has come near, that he truly is a counselor because he knows he comes alongside because he knows. He knows. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And in Jesus, like never before, that became a reality. As our wonderful counselor, he provides the guidance that we need for our life. He provides the comfort that we need in a heartache. But there's one more thing about this, that he also can restore us in our failures. Because see, the very best counselors, the best of counselors have this ability to get past all of the layers and get to the heart of the issue. See, the best counselors can do that. They know how to get through all those layers and all that other stuff to get down to what is the real heart. 
And that's what Jesus did. This past year, we went through the story from Genesis to Revelation. And the big story of the Bible is this, that we live in a world that is a mess. <laughs> that, that this world is not the way it was supposed to be. And, 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 and it's a mess. And we have made a mess of things. And the heart of that mess is this thing called sin. And at the heart of our, of our walking in the darkness and stumbling along, at the heart of our heartache, either directly or indirectly, can all be traced back to this problem of sin. That we live in a very messy world. And you don't have to, you, every morning you can pick up the paper and you, it's become a little bit messier in the last 24 hours. And we have health crises. And we have, we have um, beheadings and we have racial conflict and we have all these things going on because this world is not the way it was supposed to be that something has gone wrong it's this problem of sin and that is the heart of every one of these issues and every one of us are a contributor to that mess i mean think about your life for the last 12 months created any messes see we all contribute to the mess because we've all got this problem of sin this um, this past july uh, took a group on a short-term mission trip we went to uganda and uh we came back our, our flight back we came through dubai and so our flight home actually was from dubai all the way to la and then another flight back up here to sfo and it was the longest flight i've ever been on in my life 16 hour flight do you know what a plane looks like after a couple hundred people have been in it for 16 hours it was a mess. And then our seats were near the back. And so I, 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 as we were walking through and getting off the plane and walking down the aisle, I was like, this place is... And you know what was worse? First class. First class was the biggest mess, you know? They just have more room to spread it all out. See, because we all make our contribution to the mess. We don't think about it, but we do. And the good news of Christmas is that God's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of my mess. In fact... It was for our mess that he came. Matthew writes, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Not afraid of our mess. In fact, if you think about it, the very place that he was born speaks to that. Stable is not the most hygienic places to have a baby. Because <laughs> you know what is in the stable. And you know what is on the stable floor. And it's almost like God is saying, I'm not afraid of your mess. <laughs> this is why I came. He came for our mess. See, that's the very purpose of his coming. That's what makes the good news so good. Because it's not that he waits for us to clean up our mess. Not for us to, to get our act together. He accepts us and receives us with our mess. Because that's the very thing that he came to do something about. Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and died for us sinners. The heart of the issue in all of it is sin. And that's what Christ came to deal with. You see, that baby that was unafraid to take on our mess, born in a stable, grew up and gave his life in a bigger mess on the cross and took upon himself your mess and mine. So that we could know forgiveness. 
so that we could know guidance, so that we could know comfort in our heartbreak. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Thank you.